The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 149. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart, Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the third Doctor story, Terror, Terror of the, of the Autons. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. Howdy, Dom. I feel like when you said the title of the episode, you should have had, like, the echo Terror, terror, terror. <laughs> I, oh. I'll ask Victor to edit that in. <laughs> so hopefully that's been the, he, he's done that already and you've heard it. <laughs> so uh, t- before we get going, I do want to uh, suggest everyone, if you're just listening to this off the website or someone shared the fire with you, please remember to re- subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app, or on YouTube at the SQPN YouTube channel where you should also hit the bell to get notifications. So uh, let's talk about Terror of the Autons. This is a uh, first episode of the eighth season of Doctor Who, the Mm -hmm. second, third Doctor season, and it aired in January of 1971, so it takes us back a ways, about almost 50 years now. That's kind of amazing, 48 years. Mm -hmm. So uh, it features, this is a significant episode because it features the first appearance of the Master in Doctor Who, and the first appearance of Joe Grant. Of Joe Grant, the Doctor's new companion, replacing Liz Shaw, who left at the end of last season. Um, which will, which uh, I do want to bring that up as as the episode goes along. The 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 repartee between uh, the Doctor and the Brigadier over that. So that's, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that mm-hmm. in a sec. Um, it also features the return of the Autons, who were yep. in the Doctor's first episode in Spearhead from Space, and it's. Uh, now you could correct me if this is wrong, but I saw something that said this is the last time they show up until the episode Rose 2005, the reboot. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I believe that's correct. Also, this episode is by Robert Holmes, who uh, is considered one of the best writers in Doctor Who history. He's gonna he he doesn't he's starting to hit his stride now, but he'll really come into his full bloom, I guess you could say, in the Tom Baker era. Mm. Okay. Yeah, he specializes in gothic kind of scary horror stuff. That's right. Wasn't horror okay. fang rock rock? Wasn't that one of his as well? Or I know I, we've talked I, about I one of his Tom Baker stories already. Yeah, I don't recall who wrote horror fang rock, but um, but Holmes writes a number of the really good ones, and he also becomes script editor for the series during part of the Tom Baker era and injected this kind of hammer horror vibe into it a good bit. You can really see that in episodes like The Brain of Morbius, which we have not talked about yet, but which I'm really looking forward to. 
Yeah, he wrote uh, the ones we've watched already that he he wrote is uh, Spearhead from Space, which more autons. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ark in Space, which might be the Tom Baker one you're thinking of. It might be. Yeah, with the Weirin. Yeah, and the Caves of Androzani. That's the other one we've we've mm-hmm. watched. Okay. So uh, something else that's interesting about this is I saw some discussion online that said that this was an essentially a soft reboot of John Pertwee's Third Doctor. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a new companion, a new enemy, a new laboratory unit, lots of new stuff going on here. Even new uniforms for unit, like that they decided to, to, to switch things up a little bit. Yeah, and they had, you know, they were still dealing with the budgetary constraints that kept them on Earth for a substantial amount of time. And I think that's one of the reasons they introduced the Master as a recurring villain, because he's going to be the villain in every serial this season. Mm. Um, so, you know, he, he's stranded on Earth at the end of this one, and that's why he's sticking around. Right? Okay, okay. Um, I have to say, just as an overall, I really enjoyed this. Uh, mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. this episode. There was not a lot of the 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 uh, downtime that you find in a lot of TV of this of this time period, like long and stretches where not much is happening. Right, <laughs> to, to, mm-hmm. to happen. Um, the, the the there was a really good pace, um, and I enjoyed Joe as a new companion. Joe is really nice. She has a very different vibe than Liz Shaw. Mm-hmm. Yes, and of course, you know, they're, they're, admittedly, you know, she's like uh, you know we talked. Well, a couple other companions that were basically added because they rather pleasant to look at, shall we say? <laughs> yes, yes, uh, she is. She is very cute and yeah. uh, and young. So uh, yeah, that that it probably figured into some of it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, some of the uh, something also to know about the actress who plays Joe is she's nearly blind, hmm, and really? so yeah, so she has she cannot see very much around her. And there's a story about uh, the first day of filming for her. It was they were like running across the field with explosions going off. And she almost like ran right into one because she couldn't see where she was going. Oh, my. (laughs) That would have been uh, on the news. Oh, wow. So uh, uh, and so I'm guessing she wouldn't wear glasses because, you know, because glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Girls. uh, the, The old saying about girls who wear glasses or something or other. I, I think glasses are attractive. Glasses are fine. My yeah. my wife wears glasses, and I think that makes, yep. she's very attractive. <laughs> so so in this episode, we've got the Autons back, and that means we're going to be dealing with plastic again. Lots of plastic. And one of the recurring themes in this episode is how omnipresent plastic is and how people, you know, you have these plastic promotional tours and stuff. And that was because this is not, so long after plastic started to become a commercial reality. Right. Right. Plastic is still a new thing and you have Robert Holmes kind of exploiting you know concerns about plastic. Uh it's another instance of Doctor Who taking something quotidian and trying to make it scary. Mm-hmm. In this case this isn't quite as scary I don't think as the original appearance of the Autons mm-hmm. where you have like shop dummies coming to life and crashing through windows and shooting people dead or in rows where they do they do that again yeah but but here you've you do have a bunch of new ways that the autons end up killing people with uh the hideous troll doll and the plastic (laughs) suffocation chair and the uh the daffodil face masks and so You you do have a little bit of the Auton handgun, which I really like. Mm-hmm. It's a handgun, get it? Their hand uh, becomes uh, a gun. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> 
but a uh, bunch of new options there. I had a general note also that in this uh, serial, the doctor is very arrogant and tetchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He struck me as a lot like the first doctor, except more vigorous. He's not doddering at all. Yeah. He, was, he, was, he, he kind yeah. of pouted a few scenes, too, where it's just kind of, okay, this is a little, you know, a little out of character for Pertwee's doctor to be quite this attitude. Yeah. 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 Annoyed, you know, the doctor has been annoyed with folks who don't quite get it at times, but yeah, it was a little more, uh, I, I think pouty is the word uh, there, yeah. It did give us a great line, though, when he's had something go wrong in the TARDIS and Joe tells him he's being childish. She says, what's wrong with being childish? I like being childish. <laughs> well, especially after he had talked about her being childish. Yeah. He accused right, her of being childish. Right. He goes, oh, yeah, I am, aren't I? <laughs> So uh, the, the, the episode, the story begins with a, a big a TARDIS that looks like a truck mm-hmm. arriving at a circus. We hear the sound. We see it appear. Uh, it's apparently a horse trailer, what we would call, uh, I forget what horse, they, the well, term. They, the, they call it a horse box. A horse box. It's a, but it's not a trailer per se. It's, a, cause it's like in, a box it's truck. It's a box truck. It's a with... box truck designed for horses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's a little different from the American version. So anyway, it arrives. It's the master, and the master hypnotizes the circus's owner or manager or whatever he is uh, to take control of him right off the bat. Boom! I I like how without um I mean when the horse box materializes, we hear the TARDIS sound, so we know whoever steps out of it is a member of the Doctor's people, mm-hmm. right? And that's how we learn the master is a Time Lord, and this is only. Other than the Doctor, this is only the fourth other... I mean, we've seen Time Lords in the background, kind of, but right. this is only the fourth Time Lord with a name yes. that we've ever met. Uh, the others being Susan, the meddling monk, and the war chief. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the Master is the fourth, and his name, the Master, when he introduces himself, I'm universally known as the Master. It's like uh, you immediately get the sense that he's the Moriarty to the doctor, right? You know, right. The, the doctor versus the master. And that's what he was created to be, was to be the doctor's Moriarty. He is, um, in, throughout this episode, he's much less uh, manic and uh, crazed than even the, uh, the who is the master during the uh, fourth doctor's time? Um, Ainley? Anthony Ainley. Anthony Ainley. He's le- even less so than him. I mean, that doctor is... Uh, yeah, even during the Sixth Doctor's time, he's very much monomaniacal about the the Doctor. In this one, he's just I'm just a bad guy. I mean, he's just a, I'm just a straight up you know a bad villain guy. He he does have some interesting complexity. He he you know we've often mentioned how John Pertwee's Doctor is kind of like James Bond in yes. some ways, and Roger Delgado's Master is kind of like a Bond villain because. Yep. Not only is he doing complex plots, but he also is like, I'm going to kill the doctor at some point, but I'm going to take my time with that. I'm going to enjoy the it. More he re- yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to send him a bomb as a greeting card. And then, you know, the more he resists, the greater it's going to be when I finally kill him. And wow. so it's kind of Bond villain-esque. Also, you see flashes that other actors will later pick up on of the master's personality as being sort of unhinged because he kills people 
that he could just hypnotize. Yes. Yep. And get allies. But no, this guy insulted me. I'm not going to tolerate his insolence. I'm going to kill him instead of hypnotize him. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I noticed is there's this, this inconsistency between when he'll hypnotize and when he'll just kill somebody, even somebody who might be useful. Uh, there, and some of that, you're right, is some of that, that personality is that the, well, you, the, the, the prima donna-ish. You, you see that when, when he tried to uh, hypnotize the father uh, who owned the, the plastic plant and it didn't work. And so immediately reaction was to strike him. He reared yes. back his hand to mm -hmm. to strike him, you know. So you yeah, kind of you see that flash of anger immediate. There's a thin veneer of of refinement over yeah. uh, what is undoubtedly a, 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 a sociopath underneath. And, and that's one uh, thing about the Roger Delgado masters. He was always impeccably dressed. Especially you see this. You know, he had that suit that was yes. just you know impeccable, and he's got the goatee, mm -hmm. which is just trimmed perfectly, and you know, just right, looks right. like a. Looks like a true gentleman. Yes, yes. Also, you mentioned the veneer of uh, over the psychopath. That's actually a common trait of psychopathy is superficial charm that mm. psychopaths have. Interesting. Yes, and that's uh, I think it fits to a T on this one. Yeah. Uh, so the 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 master and his um, circus uh, owner uh, slave now they break into the National Space Museum and steal a nesting sphere. Which was from the Spearhead from Space. We yep. saw it. So there, it's an energy device uh, that somehow the master knew was there, uh, which the doctor later on will be aghast that they put it on, they loaned it out to put it on display in a museum. Like, like what, are you going to just like, well, why don't you put some uranium on display while you're at it? Yeah. You know, I mean, just <laughs> uranium would be safer on display. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Right, exactly. Uh, so, and then uh, we. We introduce Joe. She uh, she shows up at the doctor's laboratory where he's doing some micro welding on the dematerialization circuit of the TARDIS. He's trying to yeah. get that I, I, to work. I want to talk about that for a second because he so he's got you know he's been exiled to Earth. The Time Lords have taken away his knowledge of time travel, but he's still trying to find a way off Earth. So he's mm. working on TARDIS circuits, and he's got this DMAT circuit. We don't know what it is at first, but later we're told it's the dematerialization circuit, and it's kind of like. A four-sided die. Mm -hmm. It's got. It's like a little, you know, triangle. It's got four vertices, and there's kind of a disc on each vertices with a little glass structure inside, and it looks really cool. It does look like some kind of weird electronics part. Yeah. But what I like about it is they bring it back um, because the doctor ends up swapping it his DMAT circuit with the masters. He steals the masters to use yeah. it for himself at first. Yep. He steals the masters, but then way down the line in Peter Capaldi's final season, the master is talking to Missy, and Missy remembers she once had a terrifying encounter with a woman who insisted she always carry a spare D mat circuit. Yeah. And he's got one, and it looks just like the one in this episode. Right, right. I completely missed that when we talked about that episode. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, that I I I mean I, that's one of the props I give to to Stephen Moffat is he would bring in these obscure references that only the deep fans could pick up from you know from long ago from fifty years ago almost uh, and he would bring them back for for us to enjoy so I, I do yeah. I do like that it's like Keith Giffen and the Legion of Superheroes bringing back all the Silver Age silliness like the Walking Money it's money <laughs> that walks yeah <laughs> <laughs> money what never mind. Uh, so yeah. there's a saying that I'm not going to repeat. So uh, we introduce Joe, 
who blunders into the lab and ruins whatever the doctor was welding when it, it catches fire. And so she shoots it with the fire extinguisher, but apparently catching fire was part of the process or something. Yeah. Uh, but she ruins it. Um, he thinks she's the tea lady, uh, but in fact, she's his new assistant assigned by the brigadier. And he is not pleased uh, because she's a unit agent, not a scientist like Liz was. And the brigadier insists that what he really needs is someone to pass him test tubes and tell him he's brilliant. You know, the idea of the tea lady is, is very much a, a thing of its time. The idea that there was a lady who went around with a trolley with tea all made up and ready and went to each office yes. and served. That's something I think anybody who works in an office would love to have, but you really don't see that today. No, I mean, there probably was a coffee lady at the, in American, in America, you know, yeah. in the Mad Men time, you know, that, that sort of thing. But he, the doctor says, says that only two people were allowed to enter the laboratory without permission ahead of time, the tea lady and the brigadier. <laughs> and since she's not the brigadier, she must have been the tea lady, uh, which, of course, she was, was neither. I, I like the idea that the brigadier kind of throws at the doctor, like, the reason you wanted a scientist like Liz, but the reason Liz left is because you treated her like a, a personal assistant. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit of meta stuff going on here because they'd initially given the doctor a scientist companion on the idea that she would be able to do more and be more of an equal. And they concluded, uh, I've read, that she was a little too equal, and they mm. wanted to give the doctor somebody who was not on his intellectual level as much and who would be more of the damsel in distress, but also more of an action figure, right? Uh, not someone, which is what Joe is as an agent. I mean, she immediately mentions her skills include things like safe cracking. Yeah. And we see her picking right. a lock in this episode and things like that. So. Um, she is more action-oriented than uh, Liz was. Uh, we're also told that she has relatives in high places and uh, got her job as via nepotism, I assume. And uh, and so the the brigadier needed some place to put her. So here you go, doctor. Here's your new assistant. <laughs> <laughs> Although she does seem somewhat competent. I mean, she gets yeah. she's young and she gets herself into some trouble at first, but she's pretty competent. So then the, the master goes to a radio telescope array, yes. and that, this is interesting to watch with the master at a radio telescope and the doctor, because in hindsight, you yep. know, this is Legopolis. Mm -hmm. You're going to have yes. Tom Baker's doctor regenerate when the master gets involved with radio telescopes again. And it, 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 they couldn't have possibly known that at this time, but mm -hmm. it, it has these weird echoes later on. Yeah. And he, he goes to the radio telescope and uses it, uh, we learn in hindsight, he uses it to charge up the nesting battery right? Uh, so he can start reanimating plastic. And while he's there, he casually, he like kidnaps, hypnotizes and kidnaps one radio telescope guy and kills the other, who's mm -hmm. the hard-boiled Eggman, who right. I really like for some reason. He's just this like scientific assistant. He's complaining about his wife keeps putting hard-boiled eggs in his lunches. Because <laughs> it's just so blank and blah. But then he yeah, still eats it. So I mean, he's he still eats it, even though he's just complained about what they do to his digestion. Got to have lunch. And <laughs> and then and we get to see the mat. We don't know what it is at first, but we get to see the master pull out this tube, and it's his tissue compression eliminator, and he shines it on the guy, and then we don't see at first what happens. But later, when they're investigating. The doctor opens the Eggman's lunchbox, and there's the Eggman inside it. He's been killed and shrunk down to tiny size. Mm -hmm. That's really creepy for some reason to me. I mean, it's, 
It's not just well, killing yeah. him. It's the shrinking the body. That's really creepy. And putting him in his own lunchbox. It's mm. like the borrower's gone horribly wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, and then we have this remarkable scene where the doctor shows up with the radio telescope, and a Time Lord without a TARDIS materializes. So he doesn't need a TARDIS to materialize here. I don't think I've ever seen yep. that before. And he warns the nope. doctor about the master, but refuses to actually help. You know, thank you. Uh, now, and and then disappears again. Now we uh, we could we could kind of headcanon this that he actually was in a TARDIS, but it was the chameleon circuit was able to make it look invisible, and he was just standing in the door. I, I mean, that's headcanon, though. I mean, that is yeah. headcanon, yeah. admittedly. But yep, um, it, we do hear the TARDIS whooshing, which is so it's the similar kind of technology, regardless of what it is, and that also tells us he's a time lord. And he, I, I like how he just stands there in midair. Mm-hmm. But he's incognito, you know, by with the bowler hat. Yeah, he made sure to put on the yeah. right kind of uniform so that when he, or, you know, the right kind of outfit. So when he's standing in midair, no one's going to think he's anything is amiss. <laughs> yeah, he's dressed like a stockbroker from the city or something. <laughs> yeah. So, but he says the coordinates are a little off, but not bad for having come twenty nine thousand light years. Yes, uh, which is quite a distance, actually. Another galaxy, yeah. almost, yeah. I think. It's... No, no, still in the Milky still? Way. Okay, I forget the, the yeah. distances. Uh, so it turns out the Masters booby-trapped the control room for the telescopes, and uh, I like the Doctor's athletic like leap to grab the bomb before it hits the floor to save, yeah. to save the day. Uh, that, was, uh, that was a nice little thing for John Partway. Oh, before we move on from the Time Lord scene, um, I like how the Time Lord mentions that... Um, the master got a higher degree in cosmic science than the doctor. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. And and the doctor says, "Well, I was a late bloomer." <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that to, to kind of point out is, is like in later years, like in, mo- in the most recent years, we've gotten this idea that maybe the doctor and the master might even be related. They might be brothers mm-hmm. or brother and sister, yeah. or whatever, sister yep. and sister, whatever. I you think call they it. are right, but at the at this early stage, this very beginning, there's no sense that they even really knew each other before. The events of this episode. Well, well, there's the idea that the that the doctor says that he, you know, he hasn't changed since I last saw him. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and he says that Jack and Ape. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So he knows who he is at least. Right, but uh, not necessarily uh, close uh, there. So the master now mm-hmm. calling himself Colonel Masters. Very clever there. Yeah. And so there's our first master alias. Yes. Yep. Uh, based on his own name, and they bring that one back in Big Finish in. Uh, the first Missy box set in the episode called uh, Dick Zodiac's America's Most Impossible Killers. Uh, or actually, it's The Broken Clock, but she's starring on a reality TV show called Dick Zodiac's America's Most Impossible Killers. Mm-hmm. And she's introduced as D.I. Missy Masters from Scotland Yard in England. <laughs> in, in England. <laughs> that one. Uh, so she, uh, so, so he, uh, well, he, she, uh, the master takes over this plastic factory that uh, he encounters in order to start producing autons. I mean, that's really kind of the, the basic thing. And he, he takes over the uh, the owner's son. The owner has retired, and the, the idiot son is in charge now. And, uh, and I mean, let's be honest, the guy's not the brightest bulb in the tree. And yeah. uh, meanwhile, uh, Joe, for some reason, has this, the doctors figured out they have to find the plastic factories because of the autons. They have to you know go check out all of them. And Joe has decided to do this on her own, to go off on her own. And, of course, she gets herself captured because she blunders into something and they see her. And the master hypnotizes her and makes her his uh, his uh, Manchurian candidate-style agent. Uh, and then, so back at unit, she tries to set off a booby trap bomb and they, they stop mm-hmm. her. 
uh, and it's very uh, traumatic. And there's an interesting uh, 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 moment here where the doctor says that under hypnosis, the master can make anyone do anything he wants. And he says Joe in, is, is sort of catatonic afterward because she's having a schizoid dissociation because she was forced to do something against her will. Jimmy, you and I talked about hypnosis recently on yeah, Mysterious World. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what do you think of this? Well, the master's hypnosis is clearly superhuman. <laughs> yes. uh, this is this is more than any kind of human hypnosis can do. But Time Lords are telepathic, and so I assume that plays a role in what he's able to do that human hypnotists can't do. Right. Yes. Uh, I, I will try to remember to put a link to that episode of Mysterious World in the show notes for this episode, in case you're interested in finding out more about hypnosis. Yeah. So uh, they play its product production manager, this uh, really nice Irishman named McDermott, um, uh, is objects. Yeah, and he gets to sit in the inflatable smother chair. <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't think that it was necessarily like supernatural or alien. I've sat in chairs like the plastic chairs like that. I, it has almost absorbed me. So I think I just had a regular chair. Uh, I, do, I do like the inflatable chair, though, that infl- inflates on its own. Yeah, I- so he, he has them sit in it and... Uh, and it's interesting, but you brought this up before, Jimmy. He doesn't hypnotize him. He kills him because he was insolent toward him earlier. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He says, I'm not going to tolerate this man's insolence. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So well, uh, I wonder how many I wonder how many kids had chairs like that at home and immediately <laughs> looked at it as they're watching the show and go, yeah, I'm not sitting in that anymore. I'm deflating that <laughs> or, chair. Or who were sitting in it. Or we're sitting in it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, I, I think it would have been worse if they waited till the summer when it was hot and made him sit in it in shorts. That would have been even oh, worse. Yeah. yeah, those are not pleasant. <laughs> the the famous thing in England is yeah, as a kid hiding behind the couch, yep. you know, it, when watching Doctor Who. But but here the couch itself has become evil. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great episode where they make the couch itself into a... Uh, that's a future episode of Doctor Who, I think. Uh, so the plant manager's father, the owner, he resists the master's hypnotism, as we said before. So the master decides to kill him another way. He takes this plastic troll-looking doll and tosses it in the backseat of the car after turning the heat way up. Um, and so rather than turn the heat down, which is what I always do every time I get in the car after my wife's been driving it, uh, he just drives with the heat up for a while, uh, <laughs> which activates the troll doll in the back. Uh, but but then he, he turns it down at some point. Admittedly, I just kind of chuckled how significant they made the fact that the master reached in and turned the temperature up is like <laughs> wow okay <laughs> yeah. i i like that they didn't over explain that to us though yeah. you know because in a lot of in a lot of tv of this era there would be exposition to tell us why he's doing that and here they just let us figure it out and mm-hmm. i like that i also find it interesting how everyone's talking about how hideous this doll is and and like and that's never going to sell. And I'm going. Do you remember the early 1970s? Those troll dolls were actually really popular back yeah. then. Well, and this is just kind of a more evil looking troll doll. Yeah, the troll dolls were sort of cute, ugly. They were cute. This thing yeah, is like but, fang ugly. So, yeah. but still, there's an aesthetic for you know gross looking stuff that uh it does have a market yes um but it does also kind of clash with the sort of storybook sensibilities of post-war britain right right mm-hmm. uh and uh so the the troll doll does not kill the the factory owner in the car uh he manages to get home and brings it in the house with he, him yeah he turns down the heat and opens up a window and so it deactivates right it is heat activated let's put it that mm-hmm. way. 
So uh, the uh, the master then lures the doctor to the circus with a clue about the uh, missing scientist from the telescope, uh, where the doctor is promptly Im- imprisoned by the circus owner Rossini, who's not really Italian, he's faking it, and the circus strongman who says nothing, and uh, he ends up getting rescued by Joe. Um, who has come there against orders once again. Once again. And uh, the uh, so the master sends Phillips, which I think is the scientist, to, yes. to kill the doctor. Um, and uh, so the doctor, at this point, discovers the master's TARDIS, goes inside, and takes the DMAT circuit from the, the master's TARDIS. Yeah. We, we should mention what happens to Phillips. Um, the doctor explains to him that the master is controlling his mind right. and he needs to resist. And he's able to resist enough that he takes the bomb that the master has given him and runs to try to get it away and it blows up on him. So he's like self-sacrificed to save the doctor and Joe. That's right. That's right. I forgot to mention that. Uh, so once the doctor gets the DMAT circuit, he and Joe are attacked by a circus mob. It's just like a, a mob of circus people. Um, and are rescued by two policemen who pick them up, throw them in the back of the car, and drive off. I have no idea. Like, I'm sitting there going, this just does not seem right. Like, you, yeah. what is this, the Keystone Cops? Like, you're supposed to, like, the people are beating them. Arrest those people. Call an ambulance. Well, of course, it turns out that the two cops are not real cops. They're autons. Mm-hmm. And there's the great cliffhanger moment where the doctor asks to see the, the cop's warrant card, and when the cop doesn't respond, he reaches up and grabs the guy's face <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and pulls off the mask. And there's an auton there. It's a good thing it wasn't a, a real reveal. cop, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. What are you doing grabbing my face? You've just assaulted an officer. And uh, we... speaking of low budgets for the uh, for Doctor Who at this time, uh, instead of driving around in a real army truck, a lorry, uh, the unit soldiers are all driving around in these tiny compact cars yeah. that, uh, that somebody's dad brought onto the set to uh, borrow for the week. Uh, I mean, they come clambering out with their rifles, and I mean, they're lucky nobody shot themselves in the foot. Uh, but the, so the doctor and unit get in a battle with the autons at the quarry and, you know, the handguns come out and they start blasting away and, uh, the, the, the doctor and the, and the unit soldiers, I think a couple of unit soldiers actually get, get shot. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh bloody, yeah, bloody battle. There, and there's a significant amount of action here, including some really dangerous stunts yep. in this quarry. And the doctor tells unit that since they're autons, you know, they're plastic and bullets won't stop them. Although you can apparently stop a hideous troll doll just if you blow enough pieces, holes yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, but so when Yates hears that bullets won't stop them, uh, Captain Yates gets in one of the tiny cars and drives at one of the autons and pushes him over a cliff. And in it, it's actually a stunt driver driving into a stuntman. Yeah. And he was supposed to miss the stuntman. But he didn't. Oh, wow. And that stuntman actually got pushed over the cliff in Ooh. an accident and fell uncontrolled. And it looked so good, they kept that take. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a good thing the cameraman kept rolling on that. Wow. I was going to say, that looked pretty realistic when they did that. It was not a dummy that they hit. Um, nope. Ouch. So, uh, that was, and we're not sure why the Autons drove the Doctor to this quarry. That comes up later, perhaps. Uh a sort of explains later, but um, it's just ha- happens where they drove him. Maybe they're going to kill him there or what. Um, the master, uh, then we have a scene of the master talking about how much he admires the doctor as an interesting opponent. And the more the doctor escapes, the more fun it is for him uh, in his in his dastardly plan. 
So the master is not just about, you know, getting the end. It's the journey there that is fun. The, it's not just the destination yeah. for the master. He's not the Ronnie. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, and then apparently the story takes place over a period of time because we have, uh, we get we get the sense that days or even weeks pass. The Autons are now uh, in disguise. They have these weird... Uh, gi- Carnival masks, they call them. Yeah, they're these giant heads, almost like uh, characters at Disney World. You know, they have these yep. giant costumes. And they're out distributing s- some kind of pl- plastic flowers, uh, promoting plastic, I guess. Uh, plastic yeah. flowers. Or- Daffodils. Yes. And the... Uh, the doctor finally tracks down the deaths of both uh, Farrell and McDermott. So Farrell is the owner, uh, and McDermott the plant manager. Um, so the guy killed by the chair and the guy killed by the grotesque doll. Yes, uh, in mm-hmm. his own in his own house. Uh, that's where the the owner was. We didn't really uh, close the loop on that one. And so the doctor takes the uh, the the disgusting troll dwarf Auton mm-hmm. back to the lab, where. Uh, <laughs> Yates decides to make hot chocolate with uh, Joe on the Doctor Bunsen burner because uh, yeah, the Doctor was it, we knew that he knew the Doctor would not be pleased, and the Doctor was not pleased. Uh, the troll doll was actually laying next to the Bunsen burner, and the heat from it activated it again, where it attacked Joe. So, and then uh, Yates had to come in and drop all of the uh, ch- hot chocolate fixins, uh, the gubbins yeah. as he called it, and uh, blast the uh, the troll doll. By by the way, we should also mention that around this time we have the master appearing wearing a mask yes. that he then rips off his his face and to reveal that he's the master, and that's going to be important later on. Yeah. It also is the first time this being the master's first appearance. It's the first time we've seen the master use that kind of disguise. Yeah, he's um, disguised himself as a telephone installer, uh, installing a new phone in the doctor's lab with an extra long cord because maybe the the doctor likes to wander about. A, a flex, they call it. Uh, mm. that, so uh, that later on, uh, the doctor will make a phone call, and it's in fact it's an auton uh, phone. phone cord, and it will wrap around the doctor to strangle him. Um, which, yep. if anyone who's who's remembers phones from that era, that's what actually what happens with those cords. Eventually, they, they strangle you. Yeah, you're moving around. And, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's why we invented cordless phones. Exactly. Exactly. The, the too many deaths. So the uh, the autons they want to take off they want to leave the master says no I'm not done uh, you know uh, uh, he he shows up again you know and takes his mask off but they the autons were ready to abandon the master to continue their plan to take over the earth they they've established a yeah. new spearhead it, it's interesting and this also will foreshadow a lot of master future master plots where there's disunity of some degree between the master and the people he's working with right we saw that recently with him and the rani and the sixth doctor time so that uh, that doesn't that doesn't end very uh, uh soon uh and in fact even with the the two the two masters master and missy at the end of capaldi's time it was the same same thing still going on uh mm-hmm. even disunity with himself so uh the doctor and the brigadier uh then in show up at the plastic factory and find that everybody's gone um and then there's a, a auton a booby trap in the safe <laughs> the master left yep. an auton in the safe for the doctor to open up and it just starts shooting at them. I thought that was funny. And he closes the safe on him, and it's still in there, apparently. I'm going to guess yeah. the next person over that safe got a really nasty surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if the, uh, the, the brigadier also reveals they found where the guys distributing the daffodils have gone, that yeah. they're in the same quarry that they had taken the doctor to earlier, mm-hmm. 
And so the brigadier's solution is we're going to call in an airstrike on the autons right. in that quarry. And as usual, the doctor objects to the airstrike and denigrates the military mind at its most scintillating. <laughs> yes. Uh, and should point out that the doctor has also figured out that the daffodils are dangerous, um, that they're programmed to shoot a plastic film over the nose and mouth of, of whoever's nearest when a particular radio signal is detected. That's why there's been a number of deaths uh, you know, of people who've had these, but they haven't been able to figure out what connected them. Uh, and Joe is almost killed by one. The, the, a, someone it, starts a radio signal. I forget if it's the doctor. She, J- Joe starts talking on the shortwave, oh, right. and that activates the flower. Yeah, so the doctor manages to pull it off, and then um, it, heat doesn't make it dissolve. Something else makes it dissolve. Oh, but his breath. So his breath makes it dissolve, yeah. yep. which doesn't make any sense. No, because if, if it's carbon dioxide from your lungs, then in the process of smothering you, you would dissolve it. Yes, because you'd breathe. You'd be trying to breathe through well, it. Well, I think that's, that's the it. point is the, what, what, the reason why it dissolves is because the person then at, at their death, it breathes out and it dissolves. Yeah. That's but, what they're trying to say, but it doesn't make yeah, sense Yeah, it doesn't otherwise. make sense. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that part didn't make sense. Uh, Speaking of things that don't make sense, the master shows up at unit for no reason and holds the doctor at uh, at tissue compression eliminator point. Yes, uh, and the doctor um, bluffs with the master's DMAT circuit, and uh, and then Joe blunders in and says that unit is planning to bomb the bus, you know, to, to drop an airstrike on it. Uh, good job, Joe. Um, and then uh, the brigadier calls off the attack just in time. Uh, because they, yeah. because the master then takes the doctor and Joe to the bus, yep. and so that they have to call out the airstrike uh, of a. It was either an F four Phantom or a tornado. A, I think it was an F four Phantom. Okay, very the, good. The Thank brick you. with brick with wings and an engine. <laughs> yes, the flying oh. brick. Uh, they all. They also tell us how many daffodils have been distributed now. It's four hundred and fifty thousand. So almost half a million people will be killed by these daffodils. Which will be activated when the autons go back to the radio telescope, apparently. Yes. Uh, yep. But by, by the way, I do want to have a call out. Uh, the, uh, it, during the airstrike uh, bit, they were using the radio call signs, and it was uh, the call signs were Greyhound and Trap One, which yep. is. The, yes, that's normal for unit. Yes. Greyhound is the brigadier, and, and you have various trap numbers for the other right. unit personnel. And we had those, heard those recently in when we talked about Sun Tower and Stratagem. They use the same yeah. one, so it was nice. And they use Eagle for the plane that's going to do the airstrike. Right. So, uh, like you said, Jimmy, the master's plan is to use the radio telescope to send out this signal to activate the dangerous daffodils. And uh, meanwhile, Farrell, the, the younger Farrell, the, the one who'd been hypnotized, he, he finally recovers from the hypnosis. Something shocks him uh, enough that he, that he breaks free of the master's hypnosis and starts interfering with the Yatons to, to kind of prevent them from crashing the bus is what he does mm-hmm. and uh so they knock him out right and uh th- this is where i actually was i noted like you did it's funny how this the the climax of this the of this conflict between the doctor and the master is at a radio telescope you know they climb up there and they're mm-hmm. you know they're, they're confronting each other mm-hmm. at the top of it just like the fourth doctor will and it will turn out worse for him uh the doctor pretty easily convinces the master to turn on the autons by the way did, yeah, if you notice that. Yeah. Uh, Did you think that they're just going to not kill you when this is all over? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> I guess I better turn and, on and, them and work with you now. And of course, that <laughs> is a recurring theme of of the master. He's so caught up in his plots and plans and schemes, he doesn't always realize that the people he's working with 
have their own plots and plans and schemes, and he might not play into those as much. Right, right. Uh, and uh, the they managed to get rid of the auton, the nesting consciousness that's materializing over the telescopes, uh, by by doing what? Well, reversing by reversing the polarity. The polarity. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So at this point, be, the, there's a moment in all this, it goes by kind of fast, but there's a moment in all this where one of the autons tells the master, your auto jets, meaning your daffodils, uh, are being destroyed. So it's too late to use those. The humans, in other words, have caught on to the daffodil right. thing. Right. But they're still going to the telescope because they want to materialize the nesting consciousness so that it can then call in the nesting invasion. And the doctor has previously told us that he thinks the nesting's original form is that of a cephalopod. Um, and Joe says, what's a cephalopod? And he says, an octopus. Well, an octopus is a cephalopod, but not right. all cephalopods are <laughs> octopi. Yes. Um, but when the nesting consciousness starts to materialize over the dishes of the radio telescope, it looks like a shimmering octopus with yep. bad 1971 special effects. <laughs> and and so it's nice to see that callback to the doctor's original description. Yes. But then he and the master work together. Oh, there's the irony. It's so much like the Epic of Gilgamesh. <laughs> and, um, and they beam the nest, nesting consciousness back into space. Yes. Uh, and then uh, the, the master escapes, of course, from, from the doctor's clutches, but... He's trapped on Earth with a, with the wrong dematerialization circuit. So I should go back and say that the doctor tried the master's demat circuit in his TARDIS, but the master had version 2.0, and the doctor's yep. TARDIS wants a 1.0, and it caused an explosion and a you know smoke uh, coming out. Um, and so the doctor switched and gave the master uh, his broken version one demat circuit, and that uh, apparently did not go well with the master's TARDIS. So, you know, uh, one thing yeah. I will say, you know, for again, we we're talking about for budget constraints, but they they were able to save on an entire set. You don't you don't see the TARDIS interior, but you sure see a lot of smoke coming out of the TARDIS. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Somebody had fun with that one. Also, for some reason, when the Nestine consciousness is beamed back into space, for some reason, all of the Nestines on Earth suddenly stop working. The autons, even though yeah. they had been the autons, they stop working, even though they'd previously been functioning autonomously. Um, so that's a little odd. Is it because the uh, nesting energy thing was drained at this point, and that's where they were gathering, getting their energy they don't from? Ever really Maybe? explain it? If that helps you sleep at night, that's fine. <laughs> head cannon. <laughs> yeah, I need a head cannon uh, a bumper. <laughs> also, the uh, the um, and here's where the master's previous use of a mask becomes relevant. Um, the uh, the master appears to come out of the right the van yes. the bus mm -hmm. that the nestines had been in and puts up his hands and then he pulls a gun on unit and the doctor's like going do not trust him uh and he comes out with his hands up then he pulls a gun on unit and they shoot him dead and it's like oh well that's the end of him but the doctor nope rips off the mask and it's junior right. who apparently has been rehypnotized and forced to impersonate the master the master the real master then drives off with the van but since the doctor knows he's trapped on Earth, he's looking forward to meeting him again soon. Next episode. Next time on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, uh, which would uh, would be the mind of evil. Uh, next time we come around to the second, uh, the third doctor. Uh, so, oh, so anything left to say about this? What do you think of this episode? Anything? Any last bits, Father Corey? So I got a kick out of you know the doctor is blustering to the brigadier about I don't need a companion, I don't need her, blah blah blah. 
fine, you fire her. And of yes. course he couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> I got I thought that was pretty clever where he he was willing to, you know, rant and rave to the brigadier, but he couldn't actually say the words you're fired to Joe. Uh he mentioned and, and and in particular he can't do it because she comes in and reports two very efficient things she's just done to exactly. help the doctor. Right. And it's, he can't fire her after she's just done two really efficient things to help him. Exactly. Uh, when she, after she was hypnotized and, and the the doctor threw the bomb out, she he said he went she went into schizoid disassoci- dissociation schizoid dissociation. That's a little easier word for him to say than me. Uh, basically, that's for those who might never heard of that. That's where you'll draw inward. You know, if you've ever have met someone who's kind of drawn inward, they're they're not really responding to external stimuli. Uh, that's kind of uh, that's what it is, and so that's why she was sitting there blank faced and and not responding. Uh, She's just a little cataleptic. Yep. Uh, this I like how the doctor says. I believe that's the current jargon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the um, uh, the strongman at the uh, at the uh, circus was played by Roy Stewart, who was also in the Bond movie Live and Let Die. He was kind of one oh, of the henchmen. Yes, mm. he, that did look familiar. Okay, okay, very good. I like how the the strongman, as soon as the circus owner is out of sight, the strongman <laughs> who has been left to guard the doctor grabs a bottle of whiskey or something off, starts the, chugging. off the circus owner's <laughs> table and takes a drink yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we had a we had a combination star trek voyager and meta moment where joe says some sort of a quarry <laughs> yes oh and yes, uh, of course you know isn't that that's like half of classic who so that's very meta there mm. and then great description of the master's schemes vicious complicated and inefficient the doctor calls it that. And then uh, when they're in the, the the doctor and Joe are in the bus, supposedly knocked out, he's sitting there doing Morse code. He had a long time to put out this like four sentence message via Morse code. <laughs> yes, he's I know. I, I like how he's using he's using the brake pedals to send Morse code yeah. with the brake lights. But then when they reveal what the message is, it's ridiculously long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just this big, lengthy, you know. Stop the daffodils. I can't remember the exact message, but it was this four sentence long. Go message. to the radio telescope and do all this <laughs> <Yeah>. stuff. <laughs> the the daffodils can be found at six twenty three Excellent Lane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Take a left at the bus. Uh, uh, so, Jimmy, do you have any? And get some uh, tea. Any, yeah, do you have any uh, notes? Last notes about this episode? No, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah okay. it was a great episode. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so we have some feedback uh, we want to cover from our episode 145 on Forest of the Dead. Uh, Marion Luther writes on Facebook, a very good addition to the Doctor Who canon. However, she needed to be paired with Capaldi's Doctor for more episodes. We only got that one uh, final, Christ- was it Christmas episode? No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Christmas episode with uh, the with Peter Capaldi's Doctor. Um, that that would be fun. In River. Let's. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I'm... Sure, though Big Finish will say. be exploring that, yeah. the, because um, uh, they're already doing River Song stories. And even though Peter Capaldi hasn't yet done any things with Big Finish, he may. But they've also started to have ways around unavailable actors. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've like, even though Christopher Eccleston has not done any Doctor Who since the original. Big Finish has started producing stories based on the Ninth Doctor with right? a, another and actor, without with a with another actor, or they'll use their short, not short treks, but um, their short story format, short trips, short trips, yeah, uh, format where they'll have a short story read by one actor, but it may feature a Doctor whose mm-hmm. actor is unavailable. Okay, okay, and then 
Emma Kremlin on Facebook writes, When I first saw this episode, I thought the little girl was a book character come alive and that the Vashta Narada were not killers, but here to bring people into her book world, which is an interesting concept. Mm, yeah. I like that idea. That would that would have been interesting. So thank you both for your feedback. We do appreciate uh, any feedback you want to give on our discussions here. Uh, before we finish out, I'd want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Doctor Who, including Ashley G, Jacob B, Jim H, Monica V, and Lucas D. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. Uh, what did you think of Terror of the Autons? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or you can send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing uh, a special episode. Turn left. Well, actually, oh. no, next time is our episode 150 of The Secrets of Doctor Who. And to celebrate, we're, going, we're doing, we've recorded already a very special ranking of the 13 Doctors. Yes. Plus, and you'll enjoy this, which Doctor do, do, do we most identify ourselves with and who does the panel identify ourselves as? So. Who does yep. Jimmy and Father Corey think I most like? That sort of thing. Uh, that is both fun and uncomfortable for us. And so you be sure to join in and do the yeah. same to us after we you were, listen. So send us your feedback. Because on that. seeing us be uncomfortable is fun. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there's we nothing were, like putting putting us on the spot. <laughs> though I, I will have to say, you know, we, inappropriate for Doctor Who, we were very wibbly wobbly, timely wimey on these episodes since we recorded <laughs> that one before this one. Yes, we, and we had a lot of fun recording it. So it, it is a great episode. We enjoyed it yes. very much. And then after that, we'll, uh, we'll be doing uh, the 10th Doctor episode, Turn Left. So until then, uh, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Glad to be here, and thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, what's wrong with being childish? I like being childish. Right. This is going to be fun.